no. Oh, there we go. Mm. Hi. The audacity. You, ne you never know if it's going to work or not. Right. It's like a game every no. week. A fun game. Because this is the home of professional podcasting. It's as good as it's going to get. It's as good as it's going to get. I got halfway here. I, I live not even a block from the church. And um, I, I've been at home all week. I really haven't gone anywhere. Well, I mean, multiple blocks in our small town. Well, right. But city like, block, right. So, you know. I haven't really gone anywhere all week. So I don't. I don't like to wear my glasses at home. Like, I don't know why. It makes me blind. I'm blind without them, but it, I'm just more comfortable not to. So I just choose to squint. So I. Any contacts are not so No, great, so. that's even less comfortable. So um, I just look at things really closely. And the, um, and the dogs judge you. Yes. Um, so I have not been wearing my glasses. So I was on my I'm way glad here. Glad you don't have cats. They really judge. They're cats really are very dogs. judgmental. My dogs are kind of dopey. Um, at least one of them is. Um, so I got in my car to come here. And I'm like, I, I literally got halfway down the road and went, I can't see. And so I had to turn back because I forgot my glasses. So. So there you go. And you still beat me here. Yeah. Well, I, I really am legally blind, I think. You totally threw me off on Sunday. I was not used to you parking in the back. I don't know why I did that. You know, I think it's because I didn't have my son with me, and either I'll usually walk with him or we'll park in the front, just because it's easier. Yeah. I have no idea why I parked I've in the back. I've come to identify you with coming through the front door. Well, even my mom asked me when we were leaving church on Sunday, she goes, do you want to ride home? And I'm like, because she th assumed I walked because my car wasn't in the front. Yeah. I'm like, no, I parked in the back. And she goes, oh. <laughs> <laughs> See, it threw her off. We, we associate you? people with certain behaviors. Uh, I see where you're so getting at. When we are identified in a certain way, people that's expect how you identify that, me. You know, then you know. There's you old Front Park and Stacy. That's her nickname in high school. <laughs> front Parker. <laughs> but uh, you know, the same thing is true. Obviously, when we're talking about, we've just celebrated the Fourth of July, and we're talking about um, you know who we are as a nation and certain things that people think about us that we're identified with, or who we are as citizens within that nation. Good and bad. And we are. You know, we associate certain behaviors with, uh, you know, with Americanism or with patriotism, and and again, good and bad. And the same is true when we're talking about our life in Christ. If we are in Christ, it gives us a new identity. He gives us a new identity. He's, he's purchased our lives, and therefore we have been transferred from death to life, from darkness to light. And that new identity that we have. Um, it, it carries uh, certain expectations mm. that are not. Um, it's not like there's there's this checklist of behaviors, but but there are things that fit and things that don't. And so Paul's been talking about that quite a bit in the last couple of chapters here in the book of Ephesians, and we're now in chapter five and moving forward into this new section that we kind of just briefly touched on, introduced this week, and. Uh, in order to introduce that, uh, I felt it was the right thing for us to stop and talk about how, as those who have a new identity in Christ, we are in an ongoing fashion identified with Christ. Mm -hmm. So that was the core reality we looked at is that uh, the believer's new identity in Christ involves a life of identifying with Christ. And uh, as we talked through that, we looked at the you know the, the new identity itself in, in his gift of salvation to us and that it's important for us to understand who we are 
that internal testimony that we have of our deliverance from sin into the kingdom. And, and that's the beginning of the passage we'll be looking at in the next couple of weeks here uh, in chapter 5. <clears throat> Starting with verse 8, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord, having nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it's said, wake up, sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And then he goes into you know, being careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, and redeeming the time for the days are evil. And as, as we're, we'll, we'll look more at that next week, and we'll you know, discuss the fact that our identity drives, who we are drives what we do. And so um, today, as we're talking about it, this, this kind of introduction... Um, it sort of to help us kind of think through why, how do we identify with Christ publicly, uh, privately, in, in a deep and meaningful way? And what are the testimonies that go along with being a Christ follower? If I'm in Christ, if I've been united with Christ, then there are some touch points that, that the Lord gives us in the ordinances of communion and baptism. Uh, but there are also some some touch points that, that we can grab hold of that that build our assurance, our, our confidence. How can I know that I'm saved? And um, those the Lord knows our our tendency since He makes us. He knows mm-hmm. not only does He know our weakness, but He knows that that we have a, a certain need uh, for tangible things. And that's why you know in this podcast we want to do what we can to connect the reality of God, which is reality to the reality of the realities of life in our everyday experiences because very often we we seem to perceive a dichotomy there there's a separation uh, between what we think the word of god says or what we think uh, or what we would associate with the reality of god um, and, and what i'm feeling what i'm going through every day and, and we see that all the time today with folks talking about this this fallacy of my truth versus your truth, and, and there's no no real objective truth, but what I feel, what I perceive, that that is my truth, and you can't refute my truth, and that's just a, a logical fallacy. There, there's there's no foundation to that, but we're building a society on it, mm-hmm. and so many Christ followers, people who are growing up in church, haven't really gotten past that, right. and so since we're being inundated. Uh, by the world with that kind of teaching. Now, we need deeper roots within within the church. We need to be teaching, what does the Bible actually say? What does it mean? Why does it matter? How does it connect with my life? And so people don't understand. I was just I did a, a wedding this weekend. I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, it was my third wedding in three weeks. might have been third in four weeks. Uh, and that's, that's it. <laughs> no more weddings for a while. But... Um, it's summer. Yeah, and, and it was a great time, great great wedding, and, and it was one of the first weddings that I've done um, that actually approached it in a, in an older way. Mm. Uh, most of the weddings that I've done over the years have been for folks outside of our church and some within the church. Um, and 
most people no longer see weddings and funerals. Same thing with funerals. Most of the funerals I do are for people outside of our church. People no longer tend to see weddings and funerals as sacred events, sacred ceremonies that are designed to be done with your local church congregation right. in that setting to say we are together in this. So you know your family and your church family join together. And so in this particular wedding, we were at a, a, a Christian Reformed church in Grand Rapids and uh, took the ceremony. It was not the normal ceremony that I use, um, but we took it from the CRC Psalter Hymnal. And I just really marveled at how connected it was with church life. Mm. And I don't think we have enough of that anymore. We don't, we don't understand that baptism has meaning beyond my individual feelings. And that, you know, really since the 70s, and, and before that, but, but 72 is kind of a watershed uh, period in, in 20th century Christianity. We've been moving, mo- moving regularly toward this individualistic faith mm-hmm. where, you know, me and Jesus got our own thing going. I don't need the church and I don't need authority. And, and uh, this was predicted by many, um, you know, many of the Catholics during the Reformation, many of the Roman folks who would, would say, look, if you have this, anarchy will ensue and we will, you know, you know pretty soon people will be just throwing off any any form of, uh, of, of order and, and uh, orthodoxy and so on. And that has actually come to pass. Um, you have a, a dramatic increase of, um, I guess I'll say offshoots and, and mm. denominational splitting and you know somebody's got a, somebody has a vision or somebody has a, a new teaching, a new understanding and would go off into all these different novelty things. Which has resulted in, in cults galore in the last many centuries. <clears throat> Not that it wasn't there previously, but you know, tighter control, you know, keeps things more regulated. That said, the whole ship went astray, you know, prior to the Reformation. Right. So, which is which is better or worse, the, to right. have a tightly controlled orthodoxy that is no longer orthodox, that has has become completely heterodox and apostate. So that those who think they're right are, are just way left of, or, or way right, or how, whatever direction you want to choose, of where your bearing should be. Or to have the Word of God in people's hands, and many interpret it wrongly and, and go off into splinter groups. I don't know which is better. It's both bad. It's both evil, and, and we, need to be <clears throat> we need to be orthodox, and we need to be united. But we also have to recognize that um, we live under God's authority according to his word and he has ordered his church he has given us uh, orderly uh, systems of authority but we don't um, we don't live under human tyrants right. we, you know we we don't live according to the dictates of someone else's conscience we live according to the dictates of scripture and so we together in the church um, need to to continue to dig. In fact, uh, Paul has just told us this in, in Ephesians 4 that um, the, the elders, the pastors, evangelists, teachers are given for the purpose of building up the church that we might 
grow to be united mm -hmm. as we become united in the faith, in the doctrine, and we become united in our deeper knowledge, uh, relational knowledge of Christ, then we become more and more united. Uh, and eventually we all grow up fully into him who is the head. So, you ever seen my big fat Greek wedding? Uh, no, but you've referenced it here before. It's such a good movie. Yeah, I can't Shelley, believe it. It's on VH1 Shelley's like every that. weekend. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all the time I spend on VH1. I, I haven't watched VH1 in about 20 years, <laughs> but it used to be. Do they still exist? Are they still around? It's got to. I don't know. I, it was always either that or um, Jordan Dancing. Once we cut the or, cord from cable. Right. Know, you know. Or uh, the Temptations miniseries, which I also <laughs> loved as a kid. Um there's a it's funny that that still feels like a new series to me. Did you watch that? Uh, no, but it was all over, you know, VH1. newsstands and stuff, and you know, people were talking about it. Um, I saw a, some clips. There's a section. I've seen in, a lot of clips of a lot of things. It's easier to see clips now than yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's on YouTube. Living on YouTube, baby, right there. Um, that's me. There's a scene in the in that in my big fat Greek wedding where. Uh, well, this guy is going to marry this Greek woman, and they're big into their religion, and this guy isn't religious, and so as as in order to marry her, he's got to be baptized, mm -hmm. and, and so the dad comes up and he goes... John Corbett's in that. Yes. I like John Corbett a lot. I do too. The dad comes up and he's got this big axe, and he goes, today is your lucky day to be baptized in the Greek Orthodox Church. Mm -hmm. Well, you were just—it's yeah. not relevant, but that just reminded me. Well, actually, of that it's a pretty I'm... good picture of of how confusing baptism right. can be. You know, when we're talking because I'm being sure that guy didn't change his whole life. All right, and we see that all the time. You know, you and I both know people who became Catholic so they right. could marry a Catholic right. or Jewish, or, right? Whatever it is, and, and and that happens all the time. And it's one of the things that you know in. When working with youth ministry, you should always talk about the idea of missionary dating. That you know, mm. I'm going to date this unbeliever and and make them know, a believer. They're going to see how true this is, and you know, I'm going to save them. The typical. That's like trying to fix the bad boy. It's constant, and you know, it's, it's axiomatic. Very John of you. Exactly. <laughs> the, the good girl wants the bad boy, and she's going to save him and fix him, and. And it seems, it seems to work out a lot of times Quit in these movies, but it doesn't work out in real life. Yeah, if the guy is, you know, Jake Ryan. Anyway. Matt Dillon. I liked Matt Dillon and the Outsiders especially. Anyway. So, anyhow, as we're coming back to this, the, the, you can't really go wrong with 80s references in my book. But the, the idea here is that before we can really in truth, identify with Christ. We need that new identity in Christ. Mm. And, and that's one of the things that um, has become a religious confusion. Uh, when I say has become, long before any of us were on the earth, this, you know, it, it's always been um, an issue. And I think God, this is my speculation, I think God, when he leaves such things mystery, wants us to wrestle with it well, because if we don't wrestle with it we don't we don't fully understand we don't own it i know he wants us to wrestle with the faith i know he right. wants us to wrestle with many things and i think there are points of doctrine uh secondary and tertiary issues that that he deliberately clouds in in the scriptures so that we learn grace for one another we learn how to love one another better by having disagreements, that we can't just say, look, here's this verse, and it's clear, and it's done, right. Right. end of story. Thou shalt not murder. 
that's pretty clear. We don't really, you know, we can debate. Really, it's not because now you got people. Never mind. Right, we can debate. <laughs> you know, the the nuances of what is it? What does thou shalt not kill mean? Uh, does you know? Does that mean I can't kill anything? The just war theory, you know, abortion and so on. But uh, the I, the question about whether we should murder. I think y'all know you shouldn't be getting stabby with people. Right, and there's no question that. Anytime you're taking an innocent life, this is murder. If you're taking the innocent life of an unborn child, that is murder. And there's no way around it. Email me if you want to talk about it. So the... Don't email me. Um, she'll just forward it to me. <laughs> but, but when we talk about baptism, um, there are a, what appear to be some conflicting messages in Scripture. Uh, I contend that they're not conflicting, but they are. Uh, but our understandings can conflict uh, be, because we're looking at things a different way. Uh, if we don't fully grasp the the concept behind it, then it's easy for us to to be very dogmatic about things that the Bible is not dogmatic about. What is clear in Scripture is that as a believer you must be baptized because this is obedience to Christ. It's following in his example. And to be a Christ follower, you need to, ride with me here, follow Christ. So that that's part of it. He commands it in Matthew 28 when he says that we make disciples. And in making disciples, part and parcel of that is we baptize them into the triune name of God. And we teach, we disciple them. So... In that process, we can't we can't go so far as so many modern evangelicals um, who who say, oh, "Well, baptism is just a ritual; it doesn't matter. It's just a ceremony." Okay, that ceremony does matter, right. it, but ceremonies are intended to symbolize a greater right. eternal reality. And it seems to me, I've always seen baptism as either a first step or the next step. It's because you can have people who uh, something hits them and they say, I want to be baptized. And then after that, they spend their time and they spend their life following Jesus and learning and da 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 da. Mm -hmm. I don't think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, is there some kind of, there's no real prerequisite to getting baptized other than, other than your desire to follow Jesus, right? Uh, I mean, there's no, like, lesson you need to complete. Biblically, or... biblically, there is not. Biblically, you need to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And as as you have, have received Christ by faith and become his disciple, then you identify with Christ and his church right. through this testimony of baptism. Right. And in... In doing that, it doesn't make you a believer. Right. But it is what you do because you are a believer. Right. 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 I, I don't learn how to drive because I have a license. Right. I want to drive. I become a driver. I learn how to drive. Then I get a license mm -hmm. to drive. Maybe that's not the best example, but it was what kept popped into my head just now. The, the commitment that I make to my wife did not happen spontaneously with our wedding vows. I already right. made that commitment in my heart, in my in my inner self, in my in my being. I already chose to to mean all of these vows before that ceremony. The ceremony solemnizes that, 
And at that moment, now what was already an interchange becomes right. an outer expression right, right, right. and is officially, you know, we enter into this covenant together. Prior to that, I already had had chosen her. Right. She had already chosen me. And so that faith relationship, that covenant right. relationship was there in its in its embryonic right. stage. But since then, you've had a, I don't know how long you've been married. 32 years. You've had a 32-year time since then to continue to grow right. and fail and grow and learn and blah, 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 blah. Right. So that kind of, even though you, you make that choice and you make that commitment. It but didn't really, end there. Right. In right. many cases, that feels almost like a starting point. It, and that's very, very real. You know, when we, when we get married, again, I've done so many of these weddings. At this point... It is the, the starting point. And in previous generations, long, long ago, um, we didn't have to go through marriage counseling and all these types of things because the things that made that happen, that made you who you were, the, the character, these were taught in the home. So you understood from church and home what marriage was, what that required, and, and uh, all of the details of that. But we don't have that in our society. We've failed in many ways. So the premarital counseling phase, which I, you know, I make it as difficult as I can in a lot of ways because I don't want people entering in lightly. So there is a there is a prerequisite. Now, do you have to do that to legally be married? No, but you have to do that for me to do your wedding. <laughs> you, you told me before you're like, I wouldn't have married. <laughs> Well, I mean, when I was married, we were doing right. Something. I mean, like, we're, I wouldn't have married you guys. I'm and, like, and well, you, you guys both agreed with right, that at right, that point, right? You know, but that doesn't mean you know we could have I, gone. We should we, get what we did. We got married, right? right? So um, we weren't and, and going I, here at the time. And I would have wanted you to understand that it's not that you can't be married, right. but you got issues to deal with because you don't understand what you're getting into. And the same thing happens with baptism. So there isn't a biblical requirement that you have to go through these you know, class baptism classes right. and, and stand before people and, and speak your testimony before the elders and have them approve it and so on. And so I've always kind of been opposed to that. I'm less opposed to that now than I used to be. Uh, I think I was naive in, in my thinking. And, and as we look through how this plays out in the scriptures, the there is a clear corporate aspect to this. Mm. This is something that should take place within you, within the context of the local body of the church so that we're not talking about theoretical things, but we're actually, when we get baptized, uh, someone described it as the front door of the church, that this is, this is our, our, our identification not only with Christ in his person and work, but also with his body. This is the, you know, we are telling the world, I belong to Jesus. I am a Christ follower. I am part of the church. And so there's an accountability that goes with that. There are a lot of things. Now, in New Testament times, you were, by doing this, you were saying, I'm throwing aside everything that has been my identity previously. I was a Jew. I was a Samaritan. I was, you know, a, a Roman uh, worshiping these pagan gods. I am I am casting off all of society, all of my previous bonds, everything that used to make me who I am. I'm throwing that aside, and I am identified primarily with Jesus Christ. I died 
in baptism and I was raised to a new life. Now that that happens before I hit the water. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's already happening in me. And and this is where I think a lot of people become confused and we see verses that say this baptism which now saves you and so on as if we're talking about the water doing the saving that's never that's totally inconsistent with everything else we've seen in scripture in the same way that the sacrifices did not forgive sin in the old testament they didn't god forgave sin and those sacrifices even done to the letter perfectly needed to be done in faith for that to be applicable and then God, in his sovereignty, not because he was bound by our good deeds right. or good works, God, by what was even then his grace, the same way that you and I draw breath, it's his breath in our lungs. And so as we, as we look at all of these things, the, the thing itself isn't the thing. It, the ceremony is people get hung up on the idea of a symbol. It is emblematic of a greater reality. Mm. It, it always has been, it always will be. Circumcision did not make a, an eight-year-old boy Jewish. Right. It was Jewish, therefore the right thing to do, having been born into this, is then to be circumcised. That was the sign of the covenant. It wasn't itself the covenant. But over the generations, it became so closely allied with that or uh, you know affiliated with it that um, that that became kind of everything regardless of whether we kept the law regardless of whether we honored God with our lives if we kept these traditions then that was enough but that was never enough and God makes that very clear in the Old Testament prophets stop with all of your ceremonies I hate your worship it, it smells like death to me and that uh, I just had just had Nirvana and Leonard Skinner in my head in that Whoa. in that moment right there. Uh, they probably did not know that they were uh, trying in that in those ridiculous songs that they were trying to uh, convey Old Testament oh, prophets. They were trying so to convey anything. I'm sure Kurt Cobain was not, but that's <laughs> just another thing altogether. It's a weird. Did you hear me here? Well, yeah. Weird Al's, We're doing great with the topic. Weird Al's today, parody of Nevermind. No, it was it was one that was popular, and I they, he did an interview once about it, and he goes, "I called because he calls all I the heard artists." Heard Weird Al much more in the eighties than right. in the nineties. So. He calls artists to make sure that they're okay with him parodying their songs. He goes, "I called Nirvana and I asked if I could do a parody of Nevermind," and they're like, well, "Yeah, sure. Is it going to be like about food or something?" And he goes, "No, it's going to be about how nobody can understand their lyrics." Uh-huh. <laughs> marbles in his mouth so true anyway sidebar but you know when we're looking at what uh what our ceremony our worship even singing our songs you know Mm -hmm. if if we're singing songs of worship to god and our heart's not right with god god hates that That, that's an affront to him it's a lie the same as if you're having an affair and you bring your spouse flowers or you know that I, i don't understand how we can miss this you know but but if i'm if i'm cheating on my wife and i'm like oh honey i love you so much here's flowers and, and dinner and all that how how could i possibly so think that's people, a good thing a lot of people do 
Right, yeah. It, it, well, I mean, truthfully, in those situations, isn't it largely a cover-up? Well, right. And isn't that largely what we do? They're overcompensating. Isn't that what we do in our spiritual lives? Very mm-hmm. often we overcompensate in emotional outbursts and, and have these, these great experiential services and so on. And we have all these ceremonies that are essentially compensating and covering up the fact that our heart's not right with mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. And what he has always wanted from Genesis before there was an Israel was for his creation to do what it was created to do. Mm -hmm. For those who bear his image to be in a perfect, intimate relationship with him. But sin separates us from that. And so for us to be able to have, to to rightly identify with Christ in, in our public testimony, we first need the internal testimony of receiving a new identity in Christ through salvation. So then baptism is this point at which we publicly declare who we are. I am for Christ. I'm, I'm all in with him. If you want to take my house and my family and my life, okay, so be it. I cannot turn my back on Christ. And in so doing, we are identifying with his body, the church. Mm-hmm. Because I love Christ, I love the church. And therefore, I don't love the church in theory, but I commit to the church. I'm, I'm engaged in this relationship with them. I'm not just dating the church. I marry the church, so to speak, uh, which is why baptism is often so closely uh, identified with membership. And I think rightly so. I I, uh, used to think that was a a bad thing. The more I learn and the more I study, the more I believe, I, I think that's right. I think they do go hand in hand. And I don't know that I want to, you know, make that a requirement at our local church. That you know, if you don't join in membership, I, I can't do your baptism. I think maybe that's going too far. At least I'm not ready to make that leap at this point. Um, I say make that leap as if this is some new teaching. Uh, it's me trying to get myself aligned with the historic teaching as best I can, and to f- find out where are the distortions and where are we getting back to to the Word of God. Uh, and I don't know that I've done that perfectly, but we're, we're, we're working at it, trying to be more and more like Christ in, in how we uh, live and therefore more and more like the New Testament church that, that Paul is calling us to be uh, as, we are, as we're playing this out, as we connect the reality of God to the realities of life. So, uh, so baptism is that front door. This is the entrance into the church. You can't be a member of the church apart from baptism, and that's an important thing. Uh, and uh, if you are not baptized, then you are not, you, you can't legitimately say I'm part of the church. Mm-hmm. Does that mean you're not saved? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that you don't have that new identity. But because you have that new identity, then the right, logical, obedient thing to do is to follow in the steps of Christ and declare before everyone, I belong to him. And Jesus was very clear, if you will deny me before men, if you won't publicly testify, then you're not mine. I have no part of you. You have no part of me. Uh, And so baptism is that immediate step that goes there. In our day, we are not in a culture that says, when you identify with Christ through baptism, uh, you know, this this has the same universal meaning and, and you're, you know, you're casting aside the rest of society. In our day, it's a religious ceremony that should still mean what it meant then, but for most people, it doesn't. It doesn't have the same connotations, and it doesn't have the same cost. So if it doesn't have the same cost, then it's real easy to go in lightly. Marriage, 
because it's so easy to get in and out. People enter in so lightly. So disposable. And, and, you know, when we're talking about any number of things, I use the illustration of the Declaration of Independence and the, the 56 signers that put their names to that. They knew when they were doing it. I'm giving up everything. You know, did you, I posted some. It was a Ronald Reagan speech from '86. I posted on I don't my think Facebook, you saw that. and he was talking about the Declaration of Independence and what these men they knew what they were doing. Oh, yeah, and he said, and, and John Hancock made his. I never knew this. He I, made his uh, signature so yeah. big so that the King of England could see it without his glasses. Right. I actually <laughs> intended to bring that up on Sunday, and I, I failed to to, oh, to Ronnie. bring that out. But I mean, that's that's exactly what we're talking about. Right. John Hancock in that signature was essentially doing what we do in baptism. In baptism, we're saying, I want everybody to know I have decided to follow Jesus no matter what it costs. I died with him, symbolized by going under the water, and I now live my life for him. I've been raised by the power of his resurrection to walk in a new life. And when we understand baptism in that way, it changes the dynamic of it. So now I do recommend, and I, I have not done it, but I, uh, I do recommend uh, at the very least uh, a one-time sit-down, let's work this through, mm -hmm. but I think a, an ongoing membership class or a baptism class makes sense because many, many, many people today claim Christ right. and there's very little cost. And so then if we... And it's also easy to get it caught up, caught up in the ceremonial aspect of absolutely. baptism. It's There's exciting. There's an emotion it's to right, it. Right. right. And, and that, all of that stuff is, is novel to the post-first century church. That didn't really happen in the same way when, you know, when I go to be baptized, I know I'm cutting ties probably with my family. Mm -hmm. My family may not speak to me again. My, my countrymen will not want anything to do with me. I'll be put out of all my social circles. I may lose my job, and in many cases, I may lose my life. Then you don't enter into that lightly. Right. Today, I, I can gain standing by being baptized. People right. think well of me for being baptized. Even, people have parties for their infants that get baptized. You right. know, they'll have like yeah. a luncheon or whatever. So it, it's, a, it's a right and proper right. thing to do right. culturally and societally. And, and so as we do those things, we've lost the meaning of this testimony of allegiance that says, uh, first and foremost, I, I may pledge my allegiance to the flag, but first and foremost, the, everything about me, my allegiance is to the church because my identity is in Christ. Mm -hmm. Therefore, my allegiance is to his body. And the, what we described as the family table, communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, or what we call a remembrance celebration, is this is a testimony of remembrance where we are ministering to one another in this act of the reason we call it communion so commonly is we are doing this together that we together as a body are identifying with Christ. Individually, I identify with my entrance into the church in baptism. I identify with Christ personally then. As I'm doing this this ceremonial act that was ordained by our Lord for us in communion, as I take the cup and I take the bread and I remember the price that he paid for my freedom, it's not just an individual ceremony. This is a corporate thing that we're doing that ought always to be done with other believers. Now, I don't go as far as what some folks do because I don't see a, an explicit command that says, thou shalt do this. 
So when we don't see that explicit command, there's a little wiggle room in it. And while it's clear that the intent of this is to be done in the body, does that mean that I can never uh, you know, have a, a moment, a private mo devotional moment where we do this? I don't think so, but it may not actually be the same thing. You know, we're not, it may be a remembrance celebration, but it certainly isn't communion right. unless we're engaged in this together. Right. Uh, can it be a Eucharist, a Thanksgiving? Absolutely. It can be all of those things. But it can't be the same purpose. Just like, you know, I can, you know, there are any number of things I can do to express my love to my wife. It's not the same as a wedding. Mm -hmm. It's not, not the same thing. So in, in this testimony of remembrance, I think I kind of mixed my illustrations there, and I didn't really mean to do that. But in this testimony of remembrance that we do, it's an ongoing reminder for us individually and for us corporately that we are all one in him and that, that the price was paid in his literal death on the cross for us in his body and blood that was shed for us and broken for us this this cost unites us and so there's this ongoing testimony that we have in in communion which cannot be taken lightly should not be taken unless we have been baptized. We get into that front door ordinance before we dine at the family table. But cannot be rightly taken if we have not received a new identity in Christ. So this is all pretty significant. None of it is causative. None of it brings to us salvation. But it is what we do. It is still imperative. This is something that we must do because as Christ followers, we are disciples of Christ. We do what the master commands. And this is what the master has taught us to do. So we carry these things on. And then there's the, the testimony of obedience that we'll be looking at more specifically uh, as we go forward. And this growing reflection that we have in our discipleship in Christ. This is how we, you know, how we prove who we are. How do we find this uh, strong confidence that I know that I belong to Christ the same way I know that I belong to my mom and dad when I walk according to their will, when I do these things and I express my love through obedience. I can't say I love my mom and dad as a child and not obey them. You know, right. And I've had those conversations with all of my kids. You know, you can say you're sorry, but how do I know you're sorry? Because you stop doing it, right? right? We, and we, we always cling to that. Uh, and usually we cling to that when we don't want to forgive somebody. But, but, that's, but there is reality to it. The reality is, if you really mean this, then you might you might blow it. You might still mess right. up. You know, my children will still at times be disrespect, disrespectful, but I can't say I'm sorry while I'm being disrespectful right. and think that that with carries any weight. Or with the intention of just continuing your behavior. Right. Yeah. You know, it's it, it's just it's just who I am. I'm just going to keep doing this. That's not how this works. Yeah. I think you know. I uh, there's. I feel like maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just the people that I'm hearing. I think there are a lot of Christians or people who claim to be Christians who are just like, I'm good. I'm, you know, Jesus yeah. died for all my sins. I'm good. No big deal. I can do, you know, whatever. And I think there's this misconception that Christians don't struggle or don't, right. don't stumble or deal with hard things. And I think that needs to be brought to light a little bit more because just going through life thinking, I'm good. It's all good. Yeah. I, can, I think that's 
that's the opposite of of what we're supposed to be going through. We're supposed to struggle, yeah. and we're supposed to wrestle with with God's word. And we're supposed to wrestle with things in our lives, and right. And well, and, and when you say we're supposed to struggle, I want to clarify that doesn't mean that that God wants us to be no, tempted no, no. to right, sin. Right. But but He does want us to 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 wrestle with truth at a deep level, right. which often involves. Our battle in temptation, our battle with our flesh. And that's not God. That's because we live in this garbage world. <laughs> right. God, God's not tempted by sin, right. so he doesn't tempt us to sin. Right. But he does... It's our own nature. He he could have chosen in his sovereignty to say, once you get saved, we hit the delete button on your past, right. and you never, you don't remember any of that. You get this this immediate amnesia and... Like you know, flashy thing on Men in Black. <laughs> exactly, right. And... and he has chosen not to do that. And so part of our discipleship is the wrestling, mm-hmm. as we've used this illustration so many times, like the butterfly struggling to get out of the cocoon. This is where the strength is developed. Right. Apart from that struggle, we don't develop the strength. And so, you know, what, think, what you said there is, is so missed, I think, by right. so many people that... And I think that's really scary because, and I think that's a lot of where... Progressive, progressive, progressive Christianity comes in where everything's okay and everything's, you know, yeah. you're everything's everything's cool, man. You know, God wants you to be happy that you can do this and this and this. Right. And that that is something that claims to be Christianity. And I will, I will say as emphatically as I can, progressive Christianity is not Christianity. Liberal theology is not Christianity. It is an entirely different religion, and it is from hell. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, in case anybody wasn't clear on where I stand on that, <laughs> this Loud and clear. hopefully is a little clearer. I just think it's that, important that we admit, as Christ followers, yeah. that we struggle. We don't have you don't have to it, act like you've got your stuff together. Exactly. You know, we, you know it, I'm not okay. You're not okay, and it's okay to recognize right. that we're not okay. It's not okay to be okay with not being okay. So I'm lost. No, so <laughs> you know, struggling is one thing. Right. Embracing and celebrating sin is another. Right. And that's where we right. are today, where we go from, you know, this idea that, you know, if once you're in Christ, you should never ever fail. You're this perfect saint that and, and right. by God's declaration you are a saint. You're set right. apart for God in holiness. But using the illustration But like you're you, still learning to grow. Right. Using the illustration you used earlier, um, as with having children. If you if your children love you, yes, they're going to obey you, but they're also going to continue to mess up and Absolutely. do things that disappoint you and hurt you. And they don't you stop being your children, right? And you still don't stop loving them because of that. And you, and because you love them, you discipline them, right? And God disciplines us. Right. There's no punishment left for those who are in Christ. All that punishment, all that wrath, fell on Him, and so the only punishment left for humanity is for those who are not covered by His blood, who are not. In him. But there's a difference between punishment and discipline. And I think discipline we get that, we get that, that messed right. up too. And and so I don't ever I don't ever punish my children because I hate them. Right. Uh, because I want to end this relationship. That's the punishment that fell on Christ. That's a hatred. That is a, an ending of the relationship. Which we deserve, by the way. One hundred percent. And there are times if, if if we're honest with our children, or maybe if we're more honest as children of our own parents, we have earned uh, the severing of that relationship mm-hmm. in many ways. If, if we're if we're real honest about it, 
And that's hard, nowhere hard close to too. the relationship we have right. with our, our Holy Father, right. who has no reason to accept us other than his grace. We can't get that right. We can't earn that. But because he has, you know, and, and as a child of loving but disciplinarian parents, I learned through their discipline, but I longed to obey them mm. because of the love, because of the grace and kindness that they gave to me. So I knew that no matter what punishment came, whatever, whatever discipline came to me, it wasn't a hatred, wrath, judgment punishment. It was a, you're my child and you need to know what right and right. wrong is. Right. And we're going to get this right no matter how much it hurts because that's bigger than how you feel right now. And God does that with us because he loves us. And a parent that doesn't discipline their child doesn't love their child. That should not be controversial, but it probably is today because uh, what isn't? <clears throat> but What kind of pickles people like? That's real controversial. <laughs> but... <laughs> Don't get me started at this at this point in the podcast. But as we're working through all of this stuff, it, it's crucial for us to recognize that the identity we have in Christ is the foundation of this. Mm -hmm. Jesus did the work. And it's, it's not a religion that we adhere to. It is a new birth that we have been born again into him. And because we have this new identity in Christ, now we spend the rest of our lives, our entire lifetime, including involved in this identity idea of identifying with him publicly, privately. Every part of me belongs to him. Therefore, my identity cannot be in my race or my sexuality or my political party or what kind of pickles I like. What I, That cannot be my identity. My it's identity sad, is in Christ. Therefore, I am baptized to declare that. Therefore, I regularly participate in the remembrance celebration with the body of Christ to continue to testify to it, to remind myself, to remember who I am in Christ. And I continue to walk out this life of being set apart for him so that my daily testimony of living uh, bears out who I am in Christ. We will stop there. This might be one of our longest podcasts. It might be. Anyway, I'm not going to go back and look. So you Hopefully can... <laughs> it's something that is worthwhile for you. I think it is. And connects the dots enough that you can see why, if you are in Christ, you need to be baptized. And hopefully you can see why being baptized does not in itself mean that you are in Christ. Uh, if you do, if you can't connect those dots, <laughs> feel free to... Uh, Leave us a voicemail or email. A voicemail is you can use the Anchor app or give us a call at 269-756-RLCC. You can send us an email at somethingreal at reallifeonline.org or you can leave a comment on our Facebook or YouTube page um, if you have any questions or anything like that because obviously we can talk about things for long periods of time. So We can. We can talk a lot. Whether they're relevant or not. Don't know if we can talk well, but right. we can talk a we lot. We can say so. some words. Uh, any closing thoughts? Yes. Okay. Thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you next time.